0: Thank you, Pastor Steve. Good to see all of you here today. Um, you know, I don't like to, uh, uh, I try not to bring all my personal crisis to this uh, moment, right? But, um, I, you know, Sherry and I love this old house we bought. It's built in like 1805, you know. But I don't know if you know anything about old houses, but they built them in those days. They built them with the idea of wanting water to come into the basement really because it was a, a free source of water you know they didn't have to go to the river you know they can so they, had a, they actually have a cistern it, it, it's, been car, it's not working anymore but where well, the water would come in through the walls and into the cistern so now instead of a cistern we have a sump pump yeah. right? So, which runs a lot right? and I've had a professional plumber come in and uh, I tried to set it up but that didn't work because the, the surge of the pump going all the time it just doesn't handle the pressure, so it keeps coming loose and pinholes, and the, you know, you get it. So, um, if you know anybody that knows how to rig this up so it doesn't come loose, I, I've been up a long time, <laughs> but uh, it's all good, right? Don't feel sorry for me. God's good. I'm I feel great. But if you know anybody or how uh, that that knows how to do this, I really am desperate. Sherry said, tell the congregation. Somebody will, will be able to help you. So I'm, I'm doing whatever Sherry tells me to do. That's what I do. <laughs> I didn't used to do that. And ask me sometimes why I do it now. <laughs> why I obey her now. <laughs> oh, God's good, huh? Everybody in good mood today? I'm glad. I think we got a good word. I think it's going to be helpful to you. Well, I want to tell you, uh, in your app, I, I just um, had to put in this morning, there, there's a six-minute, six 23-second video that I think you really would appreciate. Uh, it, it goes with the sermon today, and um, I've used it a lot for the years with people, and telling them about managing, it's, it's really about lead, being a leader, but it's also about, because this sermon today, this ser- today's sermon is really about managing other people's anxiety, because that's what leadership is. Leadership is about managing the anxiety of your organization. Leadership in the family is about managing the anxiety in the family. Anxiety is like anxiety is like um, uh, the breakers on a breaker box. It's what causes it to trip, and the system shuts down. And we're going to see that in the story today. And uh, so, but there's a great little video called Friedman's Theory of Differentiated Leadership. And those big words and, and, and maybe words you don't use all the time. Uh, you probably don't unless you're strange. Uh, uh, or, you're, or you teach leadership. You, you, you probably use the word, you probably understand. Most of you probably, it's not terminology. You're, you're like, what does that mean? Differentiated leadership. Well, it's a great little video that everybody can relate to. Every, every parent can relate to this video, everybody who leads in your company, everybody who has a friend group, if you have a friend group, you, you will relate to this video, it will really be, so I, I, I highly recommend you follow up the sermon day, if the sermon gets boring, you might put your earphones in and watch it during the sermon, but I'm, I'm going to try to do a better job than that, so you won't need a distraction. Okay, let's get going, we're going to read one scripture, let me set it up for you a little bit though. This is a a very long story that begins in Exodus chapter 19, and it culminates with what the story we call the golden calf story of idolatry and disaster in Exodus 32. You would not think when you read the beginning of the story, it would ever end this badly. It's just like incredible. Because in chapter 19, God shows up to Moses and said, Moses, I want to give you a, a I want to tell you about my covenant with, with Israel. And I, I want to give you the guidelines and rules to follow to live within my covenant. So how the people come to the edge of the mountain. He's up at Mount Sinai, I should have said in the beginning. So how the people come to, come to the edge of the mountain, and I want to meet with them. And uh, uh, the narrative is a little bit difficult to follow because a lot of things happen. So it's Moses and the elders and Joshua and Aaron and some of the priests, I guess all the priests, I don't know, but they're they're in this meeting with God, and then all they invite all the people to the edge of the mountain, and and in chapter twenty, uh, God gives them every a lot of you know what chapter twenty is the Ten Commandments, give them Ten Commandments, and all kinds of others other great rules and and stuff for how to manage their culture and their nation and their society so they can stay uh, in sync with one another and in sync with God, and uh, at one point. And, and I don't forget just which chapter it is, but at one point, uh, God, uh, God uh, uh, tells Moses, I, want, I just want you and Joshua to come, basically, is what he said. And uh, let the Aaron and, and, and the priests go down, the elders, and, and he, he tells, tell the people. He said, tell them. Now, the people had witnessed some of this, and we don't know exactly what it looked like. If you go over in the book of Hebrews, it, it, it seems like they saw a mountain ablaze with fire. And they were frightened at the voice of God. But they got all this wonderful stuff in this encounter with God. And so, uh, so it, anyway, at some point, at some point, God wants to just meet with Moses and Joshua, his, Moses' assistant. So the, every, all the other leaders go down to be with the people. And God, God tells, uh, t- he said, tell the people, if you have any problems... Well, while we're away, just tell Aaron and he will take care of it. And uh, so Moses and God and Josh would disappear into the cloud of, uh, on Mount Sinai. And uh, they don't see Moses for 40 days. And um, here's what happened. When the people saw, in, in Exodus 32, 1, that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods. In other words, get up. Get up, All right, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now, I've spent a lot of my ministry trying to convince people that God exists. I did a whole class, and I'm, I'm going to do it again, making the case for God. But one of the interesting things in, I found out in that class, I would ask people, how would you come to faith? And, and these are people, uh, these are smart people. People, most of them had college degrees or some college. And uh, I, I thought there would be a, a answers that would be more um, um, cerebral, I guess you could say. Uh, after much study, I came to the conclusion, and, you know, all this. And, and there are some people who do come to God. But, but invariably, people go, eh, well, I just got a feeling one day. You know, I was in church. I was here. I was there. I just something came over me, and I just believe, which, which is fine. That's great. So I will continue to teach what that's called apologetics when you're defending God. Uh, I'm I'm going to keep teaching it because I think there's other, there's good reasons for it. But I'm becoming more and more convinced that humanity's issue isn't a disbelief in God, but a dislike of the deity they've been assigned to. I said I've become more and more convinced that our problem is not a disbelief in God but a dislike of the deity that we've been assigned to so this idea is dramatically illustrated in Exodus 32 because uh, think, about, think about what these people had seen you, you didn't have to <laughs> you really didn't have to give them a course on apologetics is there a God? I mean they had seen God send um, uh, turn the Nile River into blood cover the land of Egypt with frogs, cover the land of Egypt with lice, cover the land of Egypt with flies, cause all the livestock of Pharaoh to die or, or a lot of them. They had seen boils appear on all the, uh, all the Egyptians bodies. Uh, they had seen a, uh, a, a hailstorm that that's greater than anything you've ever seen that destroyed Egypt, Egypt's crops They had seen the land covered with locusts like uh, caterpillars that that eats up everything in their path. Uh, They had seen um, darkness come over the land that was so dark that no one could see. And then they had seen God take out the firstborn of every Egyptian. (laughs) And that's just the plagues. And then they crossed the Red Sea on dry land and they watched the, the Pharaoh's army die in the Red Sea. And then... Then, kind of as a PS to it, they 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 saw water come out of a rock, enough water to supply to high, supply hydration and, and 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 hygiene for like a million and a half people. So you didn't have to. T- <laughs> and and then they and then they went to a mountain ablaze with fire and heard the voice of God speaking on the mountain. You don't have to tell a person like that. Do you believe in God? <laughs> So well, yeah, of course they believe in God. It wasn't that they didn't believe in God; they just, when things didn't go as they supposed they should, they didn't like God anymore, and, and so they said, uh, humans are very fickle. It's like we need a new God. This isn't working out, <laughs> and and this is this is we see this. Uh, Idea carried over in the New Testament in Romans chapter 1, it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You, you, don't, you can't suppress the truth if you don't know the truth. They suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal for images representing mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So... Uh, uh, That this encounter with uh, Moses, I'm just going to give you one verse to kind of set up that encounter for you, even though I've already kind of told it to you. It says, On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. I want to make the point that they had had an encounter with God. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and took their stand at the mountain uh, uh, and, 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 they, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Uh, now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended in on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up, and the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. That's Exodus 19, 16, 226, 221, where this whole thing started, that I just told you about. Listen to what the Lord told Moses to communicate to the nation of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from, from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver. This is back in chapter 20, 12 chapters earlier. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. Golden calf, right? So what is remarkable is that no one, Now, so, so I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, what happened was when when they asked Aaron to make them a god to lead them, he 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 had all the people bring their gold jewelry, and and you you know also all the women are bringing their earrings. You get a lot of earrings out of out of a million women, <laughs> and and it kind of I I don't know something about like that that kind of uh, reminds me the humanity of the story. You know the, the, these were just people. I mean the, these were. These were men and women just like your men and women, and women who wanted to look beautiful and who had to wear earrings. I don't know, somebody that just stood out to me is okay, here's women who, out in the wilderness, they're wearing earrings. You know, they're wearing jewelry. They're, 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 they're wanting to be attractive and being attractive, I suppose, and all that. And they're just, in some ways, normal people, right? Uh, and so, so they, they they did what Aaron said, and they all brought their earrings and, and gold. And he sculpted for them. He put it in a, he put it in a fire of some sort, oven I suppose, and and took the molten uh, uh, gold and turned it into a calf, a bull. It was actually a bull, probably more proper, young bull, and uh, stood it up before them. And we'll we'll explain a little bit later about toward the end of the sermon, the significance of that. So, what is instructive here to me is this. After all of this, after God so convincingly proved himself and gave them such clear instructions, it's amazing that there was not one dissenting voice. This sermon series is called The Cloud in the Crowd, by the way. There was not one dissenting voice that said, Oh, time out. Let's not do this. Uh, you sure we want to do this? Even Aaron, even Aaron, the leader, got swept up. So what's going on here? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you something. I, I, I believe, because you're all in, you all operate in this dynamic of feeling a lot of people feel a certain way, and you're the only one that doesn't. Anybody relate to that? A lot of people have a certain opinion. A lot of people are going a certain direction and you're, you're, you're alone in feeling I, I, don't, I don't agree. And uh, the first thing I want to say to you is don't underestimate how difficult it is to disagree with people who are under pressure, in panic or in pain. Don't underestimate how difficult it is to disagree with people who are under pressure, in panic are in pain. There are times when everybody around you will seem to be asking for a different God than the one plainly revealed in Scripture and it doesn't help in that moment to quote Scripture by the way. It doesn't help. It doesn't help to use logic in that moment. It doesn't help to be rational in that moment. Emotions Are higher than reason. The anxiety and the pressure they feel, and I'm talking about I'm talking about your kids, I'm talking about your grandkids, maybe I'm talking about your spouse, maybe I'm talking about your work group, maybe I'm talking about your your human resource department, maybe I, whatever, wherever you can apply it, apply it. I'm telling you the the anxiety and the pressure they feel is real. If we don't take this direction, we are all going to die. Another reason it's hard to resist when people are anxious and under pressure and under stress is the foundation of all virtue. The foundation of all virtue is to remove pain. That's That's the most righteous impulse that God ever created and put in you is the impulse that when someone is anxious or in pain or under pressure or suffering or tells you tells you they're suffering it's for you to want to relieve their suffering that is the most basic that's that that, that, is, that is the basis of all compassion is the impulse to want to help people who say i'm anxious i'm hurting i'm in pain right now if someone in this room begin to weep and sob in some kind of suffering and misery this whole room would stop you would stop listening to me and you would think that pastor is so rude to keep preaching when this person over here is sobbing we got to all stop and go comfort them now God made you that way in fact God is that way God sent Jesus to this earth to what did Jesus do? He went around alleviating suffering. He went around removing people's pain. But sometimes you shouldn't. And that's what the sermon's about. Sometimes remember where we ended last week? Learn to sit with discomfort. There were situations where you need to just sit with the discomfort. You're not going to make it go away. Every husband needs to be taught this, including this one. When she's anxious, don't say calm down. In in 6,000 years of history, it never worked once. Oh, thank you honey, you told me to calm down, that's what I'm going to (laughs) do No, she wants you to be anxious with her (laughs) So, um, anxiety acts exactly like a virus Anxiety acts exactly like a virus, it goes through like, it, it's like, it's, it's like uh, COVID-19, you breathe it out, it's in your droplets. <laughs> it's a social, it, it, anxiety is a social contagion that spreads through an organization. That spreads through a family, that spreads through a church, that spreads through a community, that spreads through a nation, that spreads through the world. And in, in groups, people in groups were especially irrational and don't behave normally when we're in groups. See, there are two types of insanity there's the insanity of isolation, you know, the Unabomber. Have you ever read about him? You move off, he was the first guy I ever heard of to move off the grid. He really went off the grid. So that's one type of insanity, and that's not good. But the other type of insanity is what uh, some psychologists call enmeshment. Enmeshment. When your emotions get so enmeshed with other people's that you cannot think apart from them. That is a normal human experience, and that's what happened to Aaron. Aaron could not think apart from the people that were crying out with anxiety and with pain. It happens all the time. People in groups. January 2nd, 2020. The so-called insurrection. 2,000 people irrationally stormed into the Capitol. What were they going to do when they got in there? (laughs) Crazy. You've all seen the, the... Videos now of smiling parents, smiling parents with their toddlers and preschoolers and elementary age kids at a drag show watching men uh, with very sexual dancing and 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 the kids even going up and touching them and and you see these parents smiling. And, I guarantee you, take any of those parents, go 10 years ago, take that same parent, show them a video of a drag show. And, and, and depending on their moral sensitivities, they may respond different ways. Some may say, well, that's fine, those guys want to do that. Other people, that's horrible. I, that's not what I'm trying to talk about, whether, that's, whether it's right or wrong to be a drag queen. But I'm talking about any of those parents that are there that you watch in these videos. If you had shown them a video of a, sh- a drag show and you'd have said, uh, you know, this is what people do on Saturday nights in, in New York and Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, regardless of what you think of it, would you ever take your uh, preschooler to see a show like that? Oh, are you kidding? I would never do that. That's crazy. They, they should not be exposed to sexualization like that. They're five years old. But when the crowd is saying, when the crowd is moving, and all of a sudden, n- n- you think peer pressure is just something teenagers experience? Everybody experience. Nobody wants to not be cool. I don't want to. I'm 67 years old. You know why I'm not wearing a robe? Because it's not considered cool anymore for pastors to wear robes. It's considered cool to wear jeans. Wear chinos into the pulpit. That's cool, right? That's why I do it, because I'm trying to be cool. All of us want to be cool. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Crowd momentum is hard to resist. You know, uh, we say, I've been Provo, the, uh, the uh, Philadelphia Flyer. Hockey player this week refused to wear a pride jersey, right? And um, the media was going, Go back to Russia. You need to send him back to Russia and make him fight in the war there. I mean, he just doesn't want to wear a pride jersey. So Tony Dungy came out pro life of the day, and I saw all over Twitter Tony Dungy's a right wing extremist. (laughs) 20 people, mostly women, 100% innocent were executed at Salem, Massachusetts, during the witch trials. 100% of them were 100% innocent. And because of crowd dynamics, because of community anxiety, anxiety swept through the town of Salem, Massachusetts with religious people and they executed them. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that happening in Menden, Massachusetts today? Can you imagine that happening? Kristallnacht, November 1938, the night of broken glass. Ordinary Jewish citizens destroyed Jewish homes, businesses, and synagogues. Thousands of Jews were arrested and sent to concentration camps and many were killed and that was the turning point of the Holocaust, when it when it went from uh, from merely discriminatory legislation to organized violence against Jews, ordinary citizens, people like your neighbors, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was who was executed for being opposed to Hitler, sat in a prison cell and and tried to figure out what happened to normal Jewish citizens, that they would throw bricks through store windows of Jewish citizens and you know what he came up with? The doctrine of stupidity and it's, it's a real thing and the more intellectual you are the more you're prone to it You know why? The reason the more intellectual you are the more you're prone to, to, to go with the crowd and the more you're prone is because uh, the more intellectual you are, the more you trust your own mind. But what intellectual people fail to do is they fail to, they fail to realize the mind has two parts. It has thoughts and it has emotions. And if you don't learn to separate thoughts from emotions, you will not know the difference. And so you will trust whatever comes from your mind. And that's why the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. The reason God gave them these rules for covenant, He he didn't say, Just look within yourself. You will know what is right. No, He didn't say that. He said, Look in my word. He even put his word on stone. He put it in two tablets of stone because he said, "Don't just look within yourself." Yes, you need to look within yourself. There's a, that's a whole other sermon about your emotions and how important they are, but they are not reliable guides. But the more, the more, and the tendency throughout history is the more, the more people have degrees and the more intellectual they are, the more they trust their own mind. Rather than any other source of knowledge, more than and, and and it's it's proven to be it's proven to be disastrous, and that's why I'm, revival revival the, revival in uh, intellectuals have been. by the way, I'm not anti-intellectual. Uh, I'm a wannabe intellectual, uh, so I'm not against it. But uh, uh, it, 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 the move of God throughout history. Uh, we've had many, many great intellectuals who've been a part of it. In fact, Christianity would not have become the foundation of Western civilization if it weren't for the people who went to Cambridge, and I'm talking about Cambridge in, in, in England. And if it wasn't for those people, you wouldn't have had the ascendancy of Christianity that permeated Western civilization. But let me say it clearly, revival has always begun with grassroots. Revival has always begin with the common people who fall on their face before God and realize their need for God and cry out for God and fast and pray till they hear from God and do not trust themselves, and then it filters up into the intellectuals, and that's what we need now. So we don't, we can't control the, we can't control the public intellectuals today. We can only control ourselves, and the Church of Jesus Christ needs to fall on its face and hear from God again. Um, this uh, this group dynamic stuff is is is, um, is really interesting. I, I've done a little bit of studying about it, and you have uh, many many uh, research projects that shows that we often don't do well in groups. There's the Stanford Prison Experiment. You ever heard of that? Stanford Prison Experiment, where they they took normal people. And uh, they, they, they put it, they, they put it was college students who were randomly assigned to be guards of prisoners in a simulated prison environment. And the guards quickly became abusive, and their prisoners became passive and submissive. And, and then there's the Milgram obedience experiments, where where, where, where participants were asked to, to uh, uh, give uh, electric shocks to people who... Uh, who answered questions wrong, who got the question wrong. They were just give them electric shock and, 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 and w- 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 despite the fact that the shocks were fake, many of the participants were, were willing to administer what they believed were dangerous doses of electricity simply because they were told to do so by an authority figure. And then there was the uh, ash conformity experiment where participants were asked to match the length of a line with three comparison lines and they would plant people in the group who were strong personalities who would always identify the, sh- the short line as the longest or a shorter line than the-, the incorrect answer. And almost everyone went along with the incorrect answer when they were in the group. And, of course, then there's the bystander effect that's been studied. Participants were placed in a room with a person pretending to have a seizure and were, and, and, and were asked to help. And they were more likely to help when they were alone than when other people were around So, that brings us to the next thing I need to talk about today. What Aaron should have done. He should have empathized deeply, but differentiated confidently. Mark 6, 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep having a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus encountered anxious people all the time, and he began to teach them many things. Luke 19:49. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. He had deep empathy. See, this is this is we need to have deep empathy. These people in Israel, these Israelites, were under. Uh, give them a break. This was hard. What they were doing was hard. And now 40 days may not seem long to you, And you think about 40 days. 40 days. But think about being uprooted from your house. And and you're living in a tent with all your kids, with two million other people out in the wilderness. And 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 husband's not going off to work or wife's not going off to work and that diversion. And everything you've ever done, everything you do for diversion activities and fun and community is is gone because you're just traipsing through the wilderness. And 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 the worst thing, the worst thing is you're being told to follow the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. So can you just imagine? You get all settled down. You get all settled down. You've got a place for the kids to play, and and you've got uh, uh, you've got a, a table set up where you can visit with your friends, and you've got a place for everyone to sleep. And you've you've taken like you've taken like hours to set all this up. And you've got you you created a little pen out there for the cows and the horse and the and the and the sheep and all of that. It's a ton of work, and you get up in the morning. Where's the cloud? It moved. Hey, honey, we got to move again. I mean, every few days, they're having to pick everything up and move. And they did not know. They had never been where they're going. Moses, the tour guide, had told them about this place that he had never been to either. I'm telling you, it was rough. So have compassion on the people around you that are saying we got to do this we got to do that we're all going to die if we don't do this if we don't make this decision or that decision but don't make the golden calf better to do nothing and just say nope we're going to trust God We're just, we're just going to seek God. We're just going to trust God. We're not going to do anything until God speaks. We're just going to wait. Sometimes the hardest thing to do for God is nothing. You see, see but, but people, you say, well, well people, they're not going to like me. Well, you know, it's more important that you love people than that people love you. It's more important... I believe this is one of the greatest principles that I could ever share with you and leave with you today. It's more important that you love people than that people love you. In Solzhenitsyn's famous letter to the Russian people as he was being deported, he said, live not by lies. And he included this admonition that they couldn't protest, but he said, don't put the workers workers of the world unite in your shop window. It was a symbol for the Marxist revolution. Don't put it in your window. I heard about a man. I read a story. And I think you know my position. I think you know I, I want us to have deep empathy and compassion for anyone who says uh, uh, or, or identifies as what some people call or what some psychologists call gender dysphoria. But I, I read a story the other day that really spoke to me about a man who transitioned, and he had, he had surgical transition a number of years ago. Some people think it's all new, but it's really been going on a lot for a long time. And his church didn't agree with him. And uh, as as it's happening a lot, as he got older, he felt this was a total mistake. I should have never done this. And he goes back to his church, and uh, of course they received him. That's what Christians do. You know, we we're not, we can't be mean spirited and harsh and judgmental. It's not godly, and um, they ask him the question that the pastor asked him, well, listen, is there anything we could have said that would have changed your mind? He said, absolutely not. There's nothing you could have said that would have kept me from, from socially and surgically transitioning. He said, but I thank you for continuing to disagree with me. Thank you for continuing to tell me that you believed I was wrong. Because it gave him a place to go back to. You don't have to go change the world, friend. The Bible says this. And I love this verse. Having done all to stand, stand. Ephesians chapter 6. Having done all to stand, stand. One of the most courageous things you can do sometimes is to stand when the crowd is saying, "Move, do this, do that." Right? Finally, I would say this to you: and always be ready to embody the kindness, compassion, reconciliation, and sacrifice of Jesus. Some people, boy, when they get when they get quote biblical, they get pretty mean spirited. Not good. I love I love what happened here. I, I love this into this story because. God is God is a God of justice. So he must always be the one who brings judgment, right? That's his role to bring judgment on evil and sin. But God loves mercy. So God always raises up a Moses. Moses is the savior. Moses is the perfect image of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Moses said. And the Lord said to Moses, or what God said first, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen the people, and behold, it is a stiff neck people. people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel and your servant to whom you swore he's talking to God my friends listen to this he's talking to God and, and, and you said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I promised you. I will give your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. You know what? I, I believe one of the most powerful things that you can say to another person right, after, right along with I love you is I'm praying for you. So long as it's not said condescendingly or with judgment, but with a clear, I want the best for you, I would recommend every one of you to go into your families and begin to say to your members of your family, I am praying for you. I would implore you to go to your work tomorrow. I would implore you to go to your office, and when anyone shares with you about their stress or their problems or their difficulties, and I don't care what they are, what they believe, I don't care if they're atheists, say, you know, I'm going to pray for you. That is, for some of you, that's all the courage you could ever muster, but that's enough. If you would go around telling people, I will pray for you, I am praying for you. My wife, Sherry, says that all the time to all kinds of people. I hear her saying it all the time. I'm going to pray for you. And it is a powerful thing. And I can tell you, if I had time, I'll tell you some stories when I worked secularly, and how I prayed with people a lot, uh, or, or several times, I should say. Uh, John three seventeen it says, For God did not send His Son to the world to condemn the world, but that the, through the, whom the world might be saved. Your goal is to save the crowd. Your goal is to bring them redemption and hope. If Aaron could have simply said, I'm calling on God for you, it would have changed history because some of them did die. Moses did it, and it did change history. Nothing epitomizes the ministry of Jesus like the true heartfelt I am giving my life for yours and I am going to be your intercessor. When it seems that everyone wants a different god than the one god is revealed in scripture. It's easy to despair. It's easy to despair. But It's what the early church did. It's what the early church did. And because they did it, because those apostles and those early church leaders did what I'm preaching today. Some would say they failed because they they didn't remove the Roman emperor system in their lifetimes. But they built the foundation for it. What happened in three 10 AD when Constantine converted to Christianity and Christianity became the official religion of Rome would have never happened if the apostles and the early disciples and the early Christians had not quietly, firmly peacefully and joyfully taken a stand for Jesus and a stand for truth It was necessary and so your stand for truth and and, and mercy and true justice is going to change the world let's stand i'm just going to pray for all of us if you've never received christ as your personal savior uh, I want to invite you to, to take that step of faith, take that, cross that line of faith. I realize I touched on a few social issues that you may not agree with me on. I'm not trying to necessarily get you to agree with me on everything. I want you to agree that Jesus is Lord. I want us to start there. And then we can, we can take the scripture and we can debate anything you want to debate. But let's start that Jesus is Lord. And so I'm going to lead the prayer. I felt I'd love to do this during this series, but just, I'm going to lead again the prayer. Well, we call it the sinner's prayer, but it's a prayer of receiving Christ. Let's all say it, and then the person who's going to say it for the first time will, will be more comfortable. Heavenly Father, I come to you. I want to be your child. Receive me. Forgive me of all my sins. Make me righteous. Clothe me with your righteousness. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go calm somebody down.